Father, we dedicate this service to your honor and glory tonight. You loved us. You came to visit mankind in the person of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. In order that through your death and burial and resurrection, Lord Jesus, we might be the heirs of eternal life. Thank you, O God, for your great love. Thank you for your great works of redemption and salvation. Thank you for loving us personally and bringing us into personal relationship with you. What a joy to be able to walk with God and to know the God of the universe. We're here tonight to make plain and clear the gospel message. Holy Spirit of God, take that message and touch hearts in a very real and wonderful way. Give us a new love and appreciation for what you've done, a rejoicing, a rejoicing in your great works of redemption. Be glorified and bless your people tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It is a wonderful blessing to have each and every one of you here with us tonight. And the choir and our drama team is proud to present to you the Christmas program, The Christmas Messengers. spiritual beings created by God to do his work, to minister to men, to speak forth prophecy, and to deliver vital messages from God. The meaning of the word angel in Greek is messenger. Accounts of these holy messengers and their messages are found in the Bible at pivotal points in history. From the beginning of time, angels are present. As early as Genesis 2, angels are referenced as God finished creating the heavens and the earth, and all their hosts. Yes, the angels who sang during creation week, the cherubim, the seraphim, the archangels, and all the other ranks of angels, they were all present at the creation of the first man, Adam. 
They were also there at the fall of Adam. In fact, it was one of their very own, a cherub named Lucifer, who rebelled against God, took the form of a serpent, and tempted Adam and Eve into sin, bringing judgment on the whole human race. The angels who remained obedient took their stations as guardians of the way to the tree of life, and they watched as God drove Adam and Eve and the serpent out of the garden. In Genesis 19, angels were sent by God to warn Lot and his family to leave before God destroyed the city. In Genesis 28, when Jacob fell asleep, he dreamed of angels ascending and descending on the ladder between heaven and earth. In Exodus 3, an angel appeared to Moses when God called him to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. They were there in the tabernacle in the temple, their likenesses woven into the furnishings, emblematically guarding the Holy of Holies against the defilement of sinners. Meet the angels of the Bible. They bear very little resemblance to the angels found in gift shops. Nancy Gibbs of Time Magazine says that today's angels are luscious creatures, plump and dimpled, all ruffled and improvised. They are little Cupid doll cherubs, all fluff and meringue, kind and non-judgmental. Meet Gabriel. His presence so terrified Daniel that Daniel collapsed and fell into a deep sleep. Gabriel's message delivered to Daniel pointed forward to the Messiah. Gabriel was given the distinct honor on God's behalf of breaking centuries of prophetic silence. It was Gabriel's voice that first spoke the name of the Messiah, the name that the Old Testament prophets and believers had long wanted to know. The Christmas story begins with a strange character, an old priest dutifully preparing to perform his religious rituals. On the outside, his piety appears to be perfectly in place. On the inside, however, it is a different story. Given the long drought of barrenness he and his wife had suffered, his actual faith has shriveled down to mere religiosity. This old man dreams no more dreams. He expects little from God. His 
merely going through the motions of faith. He lives in quiet defeat. Life will soon wind down to just a whimper and then be over. Zacharias's condition is not some private, isolated spiritual disease. It was a symbol of the condition of the entire Jewish nation. And many of us today find his flat spirit and numb faith a chronic condition in our own souls. We struggle with our own spiritual barrenness. It is into this desert that God dispatches the angel Gabriel and a veteran priest who stands in the presence of the people is confronted by an archangel who usually stands in the presence of God. The holy man meets an holy angel. The electrifying effect is both revealing and redeeming. It reveals the priest's seasoned unbelief. But it also redeems his home from the barrenness, not only of childlessness, but also of doubt and hopelessness. It takes a powerful angel to root out such stubborn skepticism. While Zacharias was burning incense in the temple in Jerusalem, as was his priestly honor, Gabriel appeared before him with a life-changing and prophetic message. Zacharias himself was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not fear, Zacharias, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Understandably, Zacharias was in disbelief at what he was hearing. However, for his doubt, Gabriel made him mute until all this would come to pass, which it did. Despite her barrenness and old age, Elizabeth conceived and gave birth to John, who would turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit of the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Such are the angels of the Bible. Awesome. Powerful. Terrifying. And holy. And a message carried by such a courier cannot be ignored, neither then or now. As he did then, Gabriel speaks, challenging the cynicism or despair under our veneer of piety with the bold assertion that no matter how dried, barren our world or our soul may feel today, salvation is in the works. So wait. Wordlessly, wonderful things are surely coming.
angels are significant to the Christmas story because the birth of Jesus Christ was like none other. An angel appeared again, this time to prophesy that Jesus' birth would be even more astounding than the marvel of John's birth. Something truly miraculous would happen when Jesus took on the human form as a baby boy. The presence of angels only highlights the miraculous nature of Jesus' conception and birth, and also trumpets the arrival of the King of Kings. If ever Marshall McLuhan's often quoted maxim, the medium is the message, were true, it is here. The fact that this news came by means of angels changes the nature of the news itself. It becomes a word made more certain, a message so binding that it cannot be ignored without serious repercussions. It is news of the impossible about to happen. Angels make the incredible news of the Incarnation credible. Their awesome presence quickens the faith of a young girl pledged to be married to a carpenter named Joseph. God graciously moves her and us to welcome his news by presenting it to us in ways too compelling to dismiss or disbelieve. Gabriel was God's blessed messenger as he carried God's message to Mary, promising that she would conceive and bear a son, despite her virginity. So he also carried the answer to the world's need for a savior. Gabriel said to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom there will be no The grace and trust that Mary demonstrates upon hearing this announcement is remarkable. Her response is, I am the servant of the Lord. May it be unto me according to your word. When God really wants to make a point, expect angels to make it. Throughout the years, God has graciously sent angel visitants to take away the dimness of our souls and prod the slowness of our faith. But beware, for angels, though they enhance the message, are still mere couriers. It's the message itself that counts. And that message is, the Son of God has become human so that humans might become the children of God. The possibility of our soul's total transformation, achieved by the living God creating new birth in the human heart, and forming Christ within us is what needs to capture our imagination and our heart. May we, even now, echo the submissive words of Mary, may it to be to me as you have said.
Now the birth of Jesus Christ happened this way. After his mother Mary was engaged to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child by the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, had in mind to divorce her privately. There was a conflict raging in Joseph's soul. If anyone ever needed a word from God, it was Joseph at that moment. Whether he believed Mary's story or not, others would definitely not believe it, and he would live with gossip about an unfaithful wife for the rest of his life. Joseph had a difficult decision to make. Being a righteous man, he did not want to go against God's laws. To marry Mary would have been an admission of guilt when he was not guilty. To have a public divorce would have exposed Mary to public disgrace. Because he loved her so deeply, he determined simply to spare her the public humiliation and put her away secretly. Joseph did not know the Holy Spirit's role in Mary's pregnancy. So Joseph thought he had only two options. Divorce Mary publicly or dismiss her quietly. But God had another option for Joseph. But while he thought on these things, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For he who is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. God often shows us that we have more options than we think. As Joseph began to move forward on his decided course of action, God intervened. The conception of Jesus Christ was a supernatural event beyond human logic or reasoning. Because of this, God sent an angel to help Joseph understand the significance of what was happening. The implications were great. God himself had caused this pregnancy, and the child was none other than God's son. God the Father was entrusting his holy son to Joseph's care. Then Joseph began awaking from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and remained, remained with his wife, and did not know her until she had given birth to her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. Joseph did not hesitate. The decision was no longer difficult, for Joseph simply did what he knew God wanted him to do. God used this obedience in the outworking of his plan. Joseph's faithfulness was the means that God used in order to deliver the message of hope to a lost and dying world.
Joseph also departed from the city of Nazareth in Galilee to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, in Judea, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be taxed with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So while they were there, the day came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them at the inn. In the fields nearby, outside the village of Bethlehem, it was night. Shepherds were there keeping watch over their flocks. Among the occupations, shepherding had a lowly place. The simplicity of their rustic minds their quiet livelihood, the stillness of the midnight hours, and the amplitude of the deep blue vault above them for the heavenly music, which was to fill their ear, pointed them out as fit recipients for the first tidings of an infant savior. Perhaps the shepherds would understand. The savior now lying in the quiet manger was to be the Lamb of God. And as a lamb, he was destined to die for the sins of the world, to die for these very shepherds. Perhaps shepherds who cared for their young lambs, who sat through cold, dark nights in the fields to guard and protect their flocks, might understand the shepherd's heart of God the Father, might glimpse what it meant for him to give his one lamb for all. And then an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were very afraid. But the angel said to them, Listen, do not fear, for I bring you good news of great joy, which will be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign unto you, You will find the baby wrapped in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly there was an angel, a company of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. After the angel gave the great news of the arrival of the Son of God on earth, suddenly all heaven broke into praise. The angel was joined by a vast host of others the armies of heaven, an army celebrating peace, transferring the occupation of their exalted station to this poor earth, which is so seldom resounds with the pure praise of God. The angels let it be known how this event is regarded in heaven and should be regarded on earth. One of the angels' key roles is to offer continuous praise to God. The arrival of God's Son on earth caused the armies of heaven to join them in an anthem of praise. Rarely did more than one angel come. At this great event, however, all the angels joined together praising God. The angels praised God at creation, and now they praised him at the beginning of the new creation. The whole purpose of the plan of salvation is glory to God. God's glory had dwelt in the tabernacle and in the temple, but had departed because of the nation's sin. Now God's glory was returning to earth in the person of his son. That lowly manger was the holy of holies because Jesus was there. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let us now go to Bethlehem. And see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came hurrying and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they made widely known the word which was told to them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at what the shepherds told them.
to God in the highest, and on earth, peace. The peace that only the Messiah can bring. Not peace after war or conflict, but peace between sinful humanity and the holy God. God's goodwill in sending the Messiah introduced peace in this lower world, slew the enmity that, had, that sin had raised between God and man, and made possible a peaceable reconciliation. This is the work that was accomplished on the cross of Calvary when Jesus shed his blood for our sins and died. With the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, man could now be reconciled with God. Other works of God are for his glory, but the redemption of man is for his glory in the highest. Three days after the death of Jesus on the cross, angelic messengers made another appearance to deliver news of great joy to women who were deeply mourning. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb at the rising of the sun. They said among themselves, Who will roll the stone away from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked, they saw the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white robe. The angel was a youth. He was clothed in a long white garment, the sign at once of purity and of repose. And he was sitting in rapt contemplation and quiet adoration there where the body of Jesus had lain. But what had the angel to do with the joy of resurrection? It delivered him from no fears. It brought, no, it brought to him no fresh assurance of life. Why was he there? Because the cross strikes its power upward as well as downward, because he that had lain there is the head of all creation. He is the Lord of angels as well as of men. His resurrection following his death on the cross opened a new and wonderful door into the unsounded and unfathomed abyss of divine love. Because into these things angels desire to look, and looking are smitten with the illumination of a new knowledge of what God is and what man is to God. The resurrection of the Prince of Life was no mystery to the angel. That gazing angelic figure wondered why the sinless God would die for sinful man. To us, death is not a mystery, but the resurrection is. How is it possible for one who is dead to be brought back to life? There is something very remarkable when we grasp the fact of a risen Christ. We look back on the story of his birth, his lowly life, his death of shame, and see a new meaning in it, and new reasons for triumph and wonder. The cradle is illuminated by the grave, 
the cross by the empty, empty sepulcher. As at the beginning, there is a supernatural entrance into life, so at the end there is a supernatural resumption of it. The birth corresponds with the resurrection and both witness to divinity. The man that was crucified has conquered death, and the fact that he has risen explains and illuminates the fact that he died. The women were frightened at the sight of the angel. He said to them, Do not be frightened. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. The first preacher of the resurrection was an angel. He is risen. He is not here. His message is conveyed in these brief sentences, not with abruptness or haste, but of solemnity. He is risen is one word in the original, a sentence of one word which announces the mightiest miracle that was ever wrought on earth. He himself is the life, and it is not possible that life should be holden of death. Therefore he burst its bonds. The grave was empty, and the trembling women were called upon to look and see for themselves that the body was not there. See the place where they laid him. To these women, the call was simply one, to come and see. But it also summons us to be thankful, believing, and glad in contemplation of that empty grave as a basis for all our hopes. It sets the seal of the divine approval upon Christ's work and declares the divinity of his person and the all-sufficiency of his mighty sacrifice. Therefore, let us laden with our sins and seeking for reconciliation with God, and knowing how impossible it is for us to bring an atonement or ransom for ourselves, look upon that grave and learn that Christ has offered the sacrifice which God has accepted and with which he is well pleased. This is the grand culmination of the dispatches brought down to us by the Christmas messengers. After hearing these angelic messages, listening to their song at the creation of the world, foretelling the miracle of his birth, fulfilling the heavens with singing to announce his coming, and telling with joy and wonder that the Son of God has paid the price for the sins of men and has risen from the dead, there remains only one question. What will you do with Christ?
as you've heard the presentation tonight, the whole emphasis was God coming to man, Christ coming to man, Christ coming to save us from sin, God offering salvation to man, God from heaven reaching down to man. Now, that part is good, but then man must reach up to God. Jesus said, come unto me. He came to us. And the question is, have we come to him? Is there room in our life for God? Is there room in our hearts for the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us? That's the question. Jesus said, come unto me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me. Because he said, I am meek and lowly in heart. He's not like the politicians who are going to fleece us for everything we've got. I am meek and lowly in heart, you shall find rest for your souls. Four years ago it was, I think, that we went through a program like this and at the end of the program I challenged everyone in the, in the audience if you've not made room for the Lord Jesus in your life receive him and receive him tonight receive him now and I urged upon the congregation to do that and there was a dear man in the service that night who reached out to God he came to Christ and within two weeks he was home in heaven Totally unexpectedly. This is an opportunity tonight if you don't know the Savior. Make room in your heart for Him. It's very simple. You simply, in a personal way, you talk to God, you talk to the Lord Jesus, and you just ask Him, save me from my sin tonight. I'm going to place my trust in you. I'm going to believe you are who you say you are. I'm going to believe that you're going to do what you say you will do. And I'm going to receive you tonight as my Savior and Lord. If you do that, life will never, never, never be the same. Never. He comes to us, and then we must come to him. It's not something that's forced upon us. It's not receiving a religion. It's not committing yourself to a church or organization. It is God in person, the person of Jesus Christ, enters your life and your heart personally. That's the greatest need that man has. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes, please? And the choir is going to sing, Room in Our Hearts for Him. And as they sing, if you don't know the Lord Jesus, if you've not come to Him, come to Him, call out to Him. As the choir sings the message, heads bowed and eyes closed prayerfully, please.
Thank you, our Father, for loving us. Sinners that we are, providing for great salvation through the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for coming to us. And I pray that this very hour, this very moment, there will be those that will cry out and say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. There's room in my heart and my life for you. Take my life and make it what you want it to be, what you created it to be. God, I pray this will be a moment of great salvation in hearts tonight as we've met here together to honor the Savior. And strengthen us in our witness of the gospel, in our love for the Lord Jesus, our loyalty to our God. May we go through this season with great joy and rejoicing of heart, great gratitude, thanksgiving and praise for all that you have done in such an amazing way through the coming of our Lord Jesus in human flesh to become our Savior. Bless our fellowship following this service tonight. Be glorified in all we do, we pray in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.